Hello, everybody. Hello, friends. We're back. Ah. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) It has been, like, over a month, I think. Yeah. Since the last one came out or since we last recorded? Since we last recorded. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I know it has been a while. And it has been over a month since the last one came out, too, because the last one came out on Halloween. (gasps) Oh, my gosh. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. But we had a busy November. It was very busy. Don't eat that. Sorry. <laughs> Beautiful Stevie Nicks was chewing on my cord, my <sighs> microphone cord, but it's okay. See, now she's not scared of us anymore. She's curious about everything. Yeah, but so she's perfect. She likes to chew on my um, phone charger in the morning. Ooh, nice snack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, wait. We didn't introduce the podcast. Welcome back to Don't <laughs> Fuck With Ghosts, the podcast about all things haunted, spooky, and supernatural. We are your Blost sisters. I am Betsy. I am Greer. And I think before we get into the stories today, we have, like Betsy said, a lot of things to recap. November was a busy month. November was a busy month. We went to Salem. We finally oh. completed our pilgrimage to the witch capital of the world. And it was everything I hoped for and more. I agree. I honestly thought, so I feel like the the timing of the weekend and the activities we had played out perfectly. Yeah. So we were there for two and a half days. The first day we did all of the shopping in the big pedestrian kind of mall area. The second, and we, then we did, of course, our ghost tour at night. Second well, day, the first tour was the true crime oh, tour. Oh, yes, that's right. But they did tie it to a lot of like the well-known hauntings. Yeah. Um, like the first stop I think one of the first stops we went to was the Joshua Ward house which is now a bed and breakfast called the merchant correct yeah I think so which is like the most haunted house in all of Salem because the like crazy cruel uh sheriff of the time George Corwin like would take prisoners back to his house and torture them there so bad when he died the townspeople told his family you are not allowed to bury him in any of our cemeteries because if you do we will strip or uh, not strip (laughs) we will tear him limb from limb and parade him around the town i remember that's what our tour guide said and they're like all right heard and they buried him (laughs) at his home and so his remains are still there on the property this is also a quick plug to go listen to the episode where betsy covered the salem witch trials it's it's fascinating history um but yes we had that tour And then the next day we went to all sorts of different, and we can like go more in depth, but as an overview, we just did shopping the first day and there was enough shopping to take up an entire day. Yeah. And well, it was nice to go around to all of the stores the first day Mm -hmm. and see like what we might be interested in buying. And then if we still want it the next day, then we can go and get it. Yeah. If we didn't the first day. Which we did for a few things. Yeah. Which worked out really well. Um, And then the second day we did museums and then the third half day we just like walked around to all the different locations from Hocus Pocus and just took in the scenery in the neighborhood. So I was kind of worried that we would kind of get through a lot of things in one day and just have the next day and a half to kind of figure out what else to do. But I feel like... There we was, could have spent yeah. even more time there. There was so much to, to do. And then we still, like, before our night tours, we would go back to our B&B and just hang out for a couple hours because we had just done so much that day yeah. that we needed a little breather. <laughs> but, yeah, it was so great. It was so fun. Um, the stores there were really fun. Like, they had a lot of really cool crystal shops and, like, kind mm-hmm. of witchcraft shops that yeah. sold. You got some spell. Did you get a spell? I got I a spell candle. It's right over there. Oh, I've already right. used it once. It's supposed to be a healing spell candle and I used it 
when I recharged my crystals at the full moon. Oh, last yeah. Time. Okay. Um, and I'm going to use it again at my with my new moon ritual. And I'll probably burn it a little longer that time. But nice. it started um, leaking wax all over my oh. windowsill. So <laughs> I'm going to put it on a plate this time. <laughs> Um, and I also bought a hex bag. It's supposed to be oh, for yeah. love. Ooh. So I have that too. And I got, I like restocked on my Palo Santo. Yes, that's right. So. <laughs> yeah. There were tons of fun stores that sold all sorts of things like that. And then of course there were stores that sold like Salem souvenirs and like yeah. funny t-shirts and Christmas ornaments and stuff. But it was just, there were bookstores. It was just like, yeah. I don't know, it was just a really fun collection of stores to bop into. And some of them are really beautiful on the inside, mm-hmm. like very well decorated. Yeah, they had one that I also think was like a sort of witchcraft shop, but it had like herbs and plants oh, yeah. like hanging from the ceilings, bowls full of animal bones. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and just like beautiful books, just kind of pristinely designed to fit the aesthetic of the store and they would not let us take pictures in that store yeah it really felt like you were kind of in the middle of like a fairy woodland like grass greenery all over it was really beautiful yeah it was really cool um and i you can bet i bought a new tarot deck and it's monster themed i love it so much i've already used it Um, excellent and it was great (laughs) yeah that one because that was like the mission was to find her a new tarot deck and I, it was between that and another design. And then we came across the monster one and it was like, this is it. This has to be it. It was calling me. Yeah. And then the museums, we went to, what did we, well, we went to the witch house. We went to the witch house. We went to the Salem witch museum. Mm -hmm. We went to the Salem witch dungeon museum, which was really cool. That's where they like did a reenactment of the trial of Elizabeth Proctor. And if you're familiar with the crucible, you'll know that she was, one of the main characters from that story and um, was put on trial for being a witch. Ultimately, she was spared because she was pregnant at the time, but her husband, John Proctor, was ultimately hanged at the gallows. And then after the reenactment, they took us down to, like, they had rebuilt what the prison actually looked like at the time. The new, like, the current location or the real location of the prison has now become office buildings. (laughs) Um, So it's no longer a prison, but they rebuilt what it did look like at the time. And it was truly horrifying, the conditions that they were putting these people under. So They built it to scale as well, which was really shocking to see the different, like, cell sizes. And then if you were too poor to have a cell... Because you had to pay your room and board while you were in just the dungeon, which is so crazy. crazy. Yeah, if you were too poor to do that, then you were just like on the floor with yeah uh, hundreds of other people. Like I don't even know how many people were down there, and all their waste, yeah, all disgusting. of their bodily fluids, all of their sickness. Like it was really vile, really horrible. I thought all of the museums that we went to were so educate. Like they were fun. Well, I don't like. They were pretty depressing, so I don't want to say fun, but, like, they made it really exciting to learn about the history. They were fascinating. Um, Fascinating is the right word. And just, I feel like we learned so much. I thought it was really cool in the Salem Witch Museum, the one, if you've seen pictures of it online, it's, like, the one that looks kind of like a fortress. Um, And after they do, like, the initial presentation of where they bring you through the timeline of the witch trials. They take you to this other room, which is really, it was really cool. It was basically like the evolution of the witch in our society. And it had like another timeline 
that took you through how witches evolved from century to century and then also like a little area where they talked about the influence that the Wizard of Oz had with Mm. how they made her skin green to show off the new Technicolor um, ability that the filmmaking industry had and how that kind of really solidified witches as like these ugly scary beings in society but also kind of like less so than how they were portrayed in like the trials like more like regular people that hide in society and now Mm -hmm. they're like more like a scary halloween monster costume kind of thing so that was really cool it was cool um i liked how that timeline ended in talking about um witches and like Wiccans in modern day. Yeah. And that was just, it was just neat to see the evolution. I agree. That was really cool. And I feel like the Salem Witch Museum definitely did this. And I think they did this in other places we went to as well, where they talked about why it's still important to be talking about the witch trials and that like the, the influence fear can have on like the greater population and how hysteria can make people do crazy, horrible things and kind of compared it to other things in history, like um, the AIDS epidemic, making it so people were ostracizing the gay community and um, Pearl Harbor's effect on the way that Japanese Americans were treated and sort of like the analogy of the two I thought was really informative and important. It was. They had some kind of formula. I think it was a fear plus trigger equals scapegoat. Yes. I wrote that down in my journal. I'm I'm glad I remembered it because that fits all those scenarios perfectly. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Fear plus trigger equals a scapegoat is created for that fear. Yeah. But yeah, it was just... Oh, and the (laughs) that other museum we went to was really, really cool. It was called like Nightmare Oh, yeah. Nightmare Alley? No. No. Nightmare... I forgot about that one. Something... It's just called Nightmare Gallery, Count Orlock's Nightmare Gallery, but it was a museum. It was kind of like a wax museum making homage to horror films throughout uh, history. It had like all the different vampires that were portrayed, like all the different Draculas, Nosferatu. Adam's um, family, the, uh, maybe? They had the, the monsters. monsters. Yeah. I think they had the monsters. They had the Bride of Frankenstein. Um, and then like the more modern ones, like they had the nun, they had the scary red demon thing from oh Insidious, my gosh, yeah. they had the Demogorgon from Stranger Things. Um, oh, one of the really scary ones was they had like a, like a wax bust of the demon from Sinister, which is like yeah. one of the scarier demon villain that was really from scary. a horror movie that yeah. I remember Sinister not being... Like, as scary as it was hyped up to be, but it was, like, the demon thing really, really freaked yeah. me out. But Ethan Hawke, I was like, I was, like, you asked for this. <laughs> Sinister, if you were aware of the plot, he asked for everything he got. I mean, he did. It's kind of true. So, yeah, that one was super fun. Yeah. And then that night, we went to the Vampires and Voodoo Ghost Tour. Yes. Which was super fun. Covered a lot of the same stories as the true crime and ghost tour, but also sprinkled in more information about Tituba, who was the woman who um, kind of like her storytelling kicked off the frenzy that caused the Salem witch trials. It talked mm-hmm. a lot about her and her life and her like innocence in the whole situation, essentially, because she was just a woman. And um, also talked about vampires and like 
people out there that actually drink yeah, blood. And he did claim that he got a complaint from one of his tour goers one year who came up to him after and claimed to have been a vampire and was like, I can't believe you guys are talking about us and you pe- like you guys know about us, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, mm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. But it was cool to learn about fun. like how they're allegedly hiding in plain sight. Yeah. Which is like, I feel like they're not going to be walking around looking like Dracula, so. Well, I mean, the Cullens, you know, they were in plain sight, you know. Kind of, but they were hiding technically, so they wouldn't be in the sun. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, is this going to come out tomorrow? Um, Probably not, because I won't have time to edit it tonight. Okay, never mind. Why? I was going to be like, it's your birthday, but. Well, you can still say that. Oh, well, it's going to (laughs) be. When this comes out, it'll have been my birthday the previous day. (laughs) And Betsy will be 28. I know, and I brought that up because we're watching Vampire Diaries to celebrate. Um, so more vampires. I'm so excited. <laughs> Me too. <sighs> I just love watching that show so much. But I, it's like maybe it's because I know we're gonna be watching it all together from time to time. So I don't watch it by myself. But I also feel like it's just more fun to watch it with your friends. And especially because I've never seen it for the first exactly. time. So and I've, you guys all have. Yeah, all of us have. Um, so we live vicariously through Greer and watch all of her reactions and like. Oh, <laughs> what's she gonna say it's and like time. hearing your theories about what's gonna happen oh yeah so i feel great. like they're usually wrong yeah <laughs> <laughs> well i feel like that's how it was when we watched pretty little liars the two of us as well because yeah. i was almost always wrong i think but i also had forgotten a lot about what was going on so well because there's so much it's you literally it's a lot of it's a lot of content to digest it is but anywho Back to the main story. So then our final half day in Salem, we walked to Max Dennison's house mm-hmm. um, because from Hocus Pocus, they actually filmed a ton in Salem, which was really cool. And we got to walk and see his house. We walked around the beautiful neighborhoods in Salem that have these homes that were built in like the 17, 1800s. Yeah, we were fantasizing about oh. owning them. Oh my gosh. And we also saw the House of Seven Gables, which is on the coast. So that was really pretty. Excuse me. Um, but we forgot. I forgot to mention that I got my tarot read. Oh, yeah. That's the right. The day before. Yeah. Really fun experience. She was a good tarot reader. They also offered mediumship. And so I was like, when in Rome. So I was like, yeah, sure. Um, she was not a good medium. <laughs> she, first of all, asked me if there was someone specific that I wanted to connect to. And if you are a medium listening to that, to this, and that's like a common thing that mediums do, let, let us know. But it, when I watch, you know, allegedly reliable mediums, they never ask the person. They usually like channel it themselves. <laughs> so that kind of was a red flag to me. And then she was saying things about my deceased person that just weren't adding up. So I was mm-hmm. like, this was still a fun experience. And like, if you are okay with just getting anyone that's available, that was the other thing is that the person that I really wanted was not available because she was so popular that she was booked solid. Um, so I just went with whoever was available. So if you're like, okay with that and just like want to do it for the fun of it, then go for it. But if you don't want to spend $90 on um, anything other than like what you think will be a true authentic experience. I would make sure, you know, going into it, if the person is reliable, if other people have had good experiences with them um, or just ask for a tarot reading instead of mediumship, if that's not your jam. 
because the tarot reading was still good. It was like a therapy session. I cried. She said that I skipped my villain era, so I don't know what that means, but (laughs) we're manifesting a wild new year. That's all I can say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel like, well, I think that's good advice to tell people for the mediumship. I feel like it's still, it's so important that you got, you were able to like get something that was meaningful out of it for you and like not walk away feeling like, man, like I just kind of wasted a half hour of my life. Like there was still valuable stuff that came out of it for you. It was definitely still valuable. And like, again, Tarot is so self-reflective. That is just kind of like, she kind of helped me read through the cards. Mm -hmm. It was essentially what was going on. And I still felt some comfort in like what she was saying about my person, even though I was like, I was kind of like choosing to believe that she was just misinterpreting what she was, the energy she was picking up on. Um, but yeah, it was still a fun, valuable experience, I would say. Oh yeah. And if that, like you were wanting to do that in Salem, so it's like great that we were able to fit that in. And I will go to another medium at some point in my life. (laughs) And so this isn't my only experience, one and done. So it was, it was a overall good first reading. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like fun to try something totally new. Yeah. So yeah, I'm glad that you had that. Yeah. And like, I've been on tarot talk for a year now. So I was like, I need somebody to actually be in front of me reading these cards. <laughs> <sighs> so yeah. What else? Um, well then after that, we took the train into Boston. Oh, and yeah. oh my God. I forgot about Boston. I know. And we stayed Shit. in Boston for a night because we went to the 1975 concert yes. and we've been listening so to them. For, well, they've been making like music since their debut album now for 10 years. And yeah, that album we came out. Yeah. That album came out senior year of high school when we were in London with our old Latin class. It was crazy. <laughs> or I think it maybe came out before then, but that's when we like really listened to yes. it. So this has been a long time coming and it was one of the best concerts I've ever been to. It was so good. Was and like, I didn't even know all of the songs, but I was still bopping yeah. and jamming. Yeah, <laughs> it was great. It was so fun. Yeah. And then we went home. And then it was all over. We, f- we forgot to mention how when we were flying out, we were stuck on the tarmac oh, for an hour. <laughs> yeah. So I was literally thinking this trip isn't going to happen. It's canceled. We're going to have to turn around and go home. I was so sad. <laughs> I, I, which is so funny because I'm usually quite a pessimist, but I was like, no, it'll be fine. We'll get there. Which is good because <laughs> I needed that optimism in, in that time. Well, I guess because you're the one who planned the trip. Like, yeah. I was just kind of along for this the ride. This is true. So this is true. you had more more like steak in this skin is in the true game. but like we also i had already made us dinner reservations at this haunted restaurant and so we kept having i kept having to call them well actually i only called them once but i was like um we're gonna be really late <laughs> but they were fine with it so yes it all worked out yeah which was very exciting it all worked out and our b&b was super cute it was so old it had a dumb waiter in it which was really yeah cool. it was really cute um and one of the rooms there was haunted but it was booked, so I was not able to <laughs> reserve it for us. But we found like a guest book before we left that had entries of other people's experiences there. And they just said that they either like felt somebody on the bed or they like mm. saw somebody like in the corner, which is super scary. Oh, and it's really probably good we didn't get, the- <laughs> get this room because we definitely needed, needed our sleep on this yeah. trip. <laughs> So, but yeah, it was such a great trip and I can't wait to go back. Yeah, it was so fun. 10 out of 10, absolutely recommend a trip to Salem. Do not go in October. Yes. I don't care how fun it looks. We had so many people, like shopkeepers, tour guides say like, because we went over Veterans Day weekend, so you guys came at the right time. October is just insanity. You're waiting hours to get 
seats for dinner. The tours are booked up. Hotels are super expensive. So absolutely go. But if you cannot go in October, you still get like a hundred percent of the spooky witchy experience. Just no crowds. Yeah, exactly. And it was still like relative. Like there was people there. It, was busy, it wasn't like for sure dead or anything. And like our tours every night were definitely full. Yeah. So. It was still, like, there was still plenty of people around, but we could still go into stores, walk around. We didn't have to wait to get seated at restaurants. It was yeah, definitely it the, the right time to go. Because we still got all the full, fall foliage and everything. Oh, so beautiful. Um, oh, and the weather yeah. was, well, it was cold at night, but the weather was otherwise gorgeous. Like, yeah. it just, it was a great weekend. Thank you for planning it for us. You're welcome. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, should I get into my story? Uh, yeah. Okay. So today, and some of you might already be familiar with this story, but I'm going to talk about the chilling story of Lizzie Borden, the gruesome murders of her father and stepmother, and the historic and haunted Lizzie Borden house in Fall River, Massachusetts. And you might be familiar with the nursery rhyme that goes as follows. Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Andrew Borden now is dead. Lizzie hit him on the head. Up in heaven, he will sing. On the gallows, she will swing. <gasps> I know. Oh, my God. <laughs> so Wait. Do you know, um, the first time I ever heard that nursery rhyme was from my mom because they used to sing it at Girl Scout camp. <laughs> what? Okay. What is the deal with, like, fucked up nursery rhymes? Because Ring Around the Rosie. It's about the plague. Yeah. And ashes, ashes, they all fall down. These children had no chance. (laughs) No chance. That sounds like um, something that came out of... Well, Lizzie Borden was like the 1800s, right? Yeah, late, mid to late. Okay. Well, the plague, that was a long time ago. So I feel like there's also some pretty fucked up nursery rhymes that came from Puritan times. Mm. I'm sure. Like, repent for your sins, child. I also think, like, nursery rhymes, that sounds too fun for the Puritans. Yeah. So yeah, we learned they're not that allowed to sing. <laughs> we learned, which I guess maybe we probably already knew, but just conf- we reconfirmed during our trip that life in Puritan New England in the 1600s was the bleakest existence you could have, especially as a woman mm-hmm. and a of like young little girl child. And Terrible. that's why the hysteria was really jump started is because everyone was so fucking bored and there was a mini ice age that we learned about so they were bored and cold and would start acting out and the little girls realized that if they just claimed that they had been bewitched they could get away with whatever they wanted wild i mean i can't blame them like (laughs) well mm, mm, i don't know if i'd do that but i understand (laughs) i get it i get it (laughs) yeah okay well anywho (laughs) um Lizzie Borden was born on July 19th, 1860 in Fall River, Massachusetts to parents, Sarah and Andrew Borden. Lizzie was the youngest of two girls born nine years after her older sister, Emma. Sadly, their mother, Sarah would pass tragically pass away in 1863 when Lizzie was just two years old. And three years after her mother's death, Andrew Borden married a woman named Abby Gray. I'll get more into the complicated relationship between Andrew, Abby, and Lizzie in a little bit. But first, I just want to give some background information on the Borden family and their home. So despite being born into extremely modest surroundings, Andrew grew up and eventually prospered in the manufacture and sale of furnitures and caskets, foreshadowing, (laughs) before becoming a successful property developer. 
He directed several textile mills and owned a considerable amount of commercial property and was also the president of the Union Savings Bank. Upon his death, which we'll get to later, his estate was valued at around $300,000, which is equivalent to over $10 million in today's money. And I share all of this to say that the Borden family was a prominent, wealthy, and established fixture of the Fall River community, which is in part why the deaths that we will be talking about today um, are so shocking, were so shocking at the time. And although he had a considerable amount of wealth, Andrew was known to be quite frugal. The Borden home, which is this beautiful, um, well, today it's painted sort of black and gray and green. Um, it's a, their home was a beautiful Victorian style house, but it lacked indoor plumbing and electricity, even though those things were super common at the time. Andrew was like, I don't want to put that in my house. So it was like, <laughs> oh my God. it was cold. It was just not a warm place to live. It was frustrating for the young girls who lived there because they were, they felt like they were living in squalor compared to their like equals. Um, And although the house was in a nice neighborhood, the wealthiest residents of Fall River lived in an area called The Hill, which was farther away from the city's industrial downtown, which is where the Borden family lived. We will refer back to this detail in a bit because it's known that Lizzie was unhappy with where they lived and wanted to move to the more affluent neighborhood on The Hill, be in a home with electricity, plumbing. Um, She just wanted more than what her family had. So now to get back to the tensions between Andrew, Lizzie, and her stepmom, Abby. So at some point during her late teenage, early adult years, Lizzie stopped referring to Abby as mother and began calling her Mrs. Borden. Oh, sass. I know. Teenager. Um, Lizzie believed that Abby married her father for his money and that she was extremely, and she was extremely unhappy about it. Um, And while there's no documentation of abuse or neglect from Abby to Lizzie, Friends and family knew that their relationship was fraught beyond repair. And to Libby's credit, Lizzie's credit, her suspicions about Abby were probably correct. Um, Abby was known to have desired respect and social status, but she was often regarded as the daughter of a pushcart peddler. So she basically came from nothing, was my understanding. And marrying somebody of Andrew's financial and social status would be considered unprecedented for someone of her status at the time. Um, And people in Fall River thought that Andrew may have married her not for love, but because he was looking for a housekeeper and for somebody to raise his daughters, but he didn't want to have to hire somebody to do that because he was cheap. Mm. So instead, he decided to just marry a woman because a woman is nothing but a housekeeper and a babysitter. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, However, years go on. Andrew realizes that he actually needs to have professional help in the house to help with the girls. So Andrew decided to hire an Irish immigrant named Bridget Sullivan to work at the home as a live-in maid who would end up being present in the Borden house during the murders. She also later testified that Lizzie and her sister Emma rarely ate with their father and stepmother despite living under the same roof as them and noted that Lizzie in particular had a complex relationship with her stepmother, Abby. So they're all in this house There's a lot of coldness between Lizzie in particular, her father and her stepmother. So I'm going to go over, go over a bit of a timeline of events and tensions that led up to the gruesome murders in 1892. So in 1891, the Borden home was robbed of money and jewelry in the middle of the day. Andrew became paranoid in response and decided immediately to put locks on every window and door of the house, even the doors inside. The family's prime suspect was actually Lizzie, who had been accused of shoplifting by a local merchant earlier that year. 
whether or not she actually did it, this accusation certainly only escalated the tensions between Lizzie and her father and stepmother. In 1892, Lizzie built a chicken coop in the Borden family backyard and had taken on the responsibility of caring for the chickens inside. But her father began to resent the fact that young children kept coming into his yard to look at the chickens. Because there there could be nothing worse than that, than young children being in your yard. I would be one of those kids looking at the chickens. I know you would. I love chickens. They are very cute. I They're won't, so stupid. <laughs> I, won't, I won't tell a lie. They are cute. <laughs> so like any sane man would do, he grabbed a small axe, foreshadowing again, and beheaded all of Lizzie's <gasps> beloved chickens and, destro- and destroyed the chicken coop. I thought you were going to say he beheaded the children. <laughs> <laughs> that would result in a different kind like, of story. I don't remember that part of the story. <laughs> No, he beheaded all of the chickens. Aw, poor chickens. Um, Lizzie became deeply distressed because, like, this was the thing that she did. The chickens provided eggs for her family. I don't know if they would ever kill them to eat them. But either way, like, she was caring for these chickens to contribute to the family. She had built the whole fucking thing herself. Like, she was like, this is my thing, and you kill my chickens and destroy my coop. And so she was very distressed, (laughs) and she decided to leave the home to live elsewhere for a period of time in order to escape her crazy family. She was like, I can't fucking take it with you people anymore. I mean, honestly, that is pretty unhinged. It's horrible. Yeah. That's like, yeah. And also, I, I wouldn't now, want to live there either. Now they don't get eggs because he killed all the chickens. So what was the... It's a reactive parent for you. <laughs> not gentle parenting. They did not have gentle parenting in that age. No. Uh, tensions only continued to worsen when Andrew decided to amend his will so that all of his money and possessions were to be bequeathed to stepmother Abby. Andrew also outlined plans to give away some of his real estate to Abby's relatives. Lizzie could see her inheritance slipping away before her very eyes, which was not what she wanted. Because remember, she wanted to live in the big house on the hill. She wanted to have electricity and plumbing, all these things that she'd be able to buy for herself once she inherited her father's money after he passed away. And so now, after a lifetime of brewing tensions, disagreements, and resentment between the members of the Borden family, we arrive at the fateful week for Andrew and Abby Borden. Mm. On August 2nd, 1892, Abby and Andrew woke up complaining of violent stomach sickness. <laughs> oh, no. Abby feared that it may have been poison, but the more likely scenario was spoiled food left out for several days. Um, I should say it wasn't just Abby and Andrew who woke up. The Bridget, the maid, also woke up feeling very sick, which mm. is a relevant point later in the story. So that was August 2nd, 1892. Interestingly enough, though, on August 3rd, 1892, Lizzie reportedly tried unsuccessfully to buy some poison from a pharmacist named Eli Bentz at D.R. Smith's drugstore. She later claimed she needed it to clean a silk scarf. So although the the sickness um, that Abby, Andrew, and their maid Bridget experienced was honestly most likely food poisoning, um... Lizzie may have seen that as an opportunity to try and get more poison and get poison and to continue their sickness and mm-hmm. uh, kill them. But she wasn't able to buy the poison, as was reported in this timeline. Later on August 3rd, a man named John Morse, who was Lizzie's maternal uncle, so the brother of her deceased mom, paid a surprise visit to the Borden house for a few days to discuss business with Andrew. He ended up spending the night in their guest room on the second floor of the house. The guest room is important. 
On the morning of August 4th, Bridget, the maid, served breakfast to Andrew and John in the home's living room. John left around 8.45 a.m., and Andrew left shortly after to go for a long walk. After the two of them left around 9 or 10 a.m., Abby, uh, the stepmother, went upstairs to tidy up the guest room that John had stayed in on the second floor. It was then that she was brutally murdered. The attacker struck her on the side of the head with a hatchet, which caused her to turn and fall face down on the floor in an unusual position. Her killer then struck her with the hatchet 17 more times Ah! directly in the back of the head, killing her. So she was already down. Yeah, I mean, 17 times at that point, you're just hitting brain matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Bridget, the maid, was in bed at the time in her little suite um, in the third floor attic. She was laying down because she wasn't feeling well from the food poisoning earlier that day or earlier in the week. Um, she claimed that she did not hear any screams, thuds, any sort of scuffle, any kind of wax coming from the guest bedroom on the second floor where Abby had been brutally murdered. Maybe the killer drugged her and that's why she didn't wake up. I don't know. It's possible. But yeah, this woman was just slaughtered brain matter and blood everywhere. And the maid is saying she didn't hear a single thing from upstairs. I mean, I don't know. Like we don't know. Um, (laughs) So Abby's dead. She's in the second floor room, murdered, very tragically. Her husband, Andrew, returned from his morning walk at around 10.30 a.m., but his key couldn't open the front door. Uh, The maid, Bridget, heard him knocking on the door. So for some reason, that woke her up, but not the slashing with the axe or the hatchet. (sighs) But anyway, Bridget hears... Andrew knocking on the door. She rushes downstairs upon hearing his knocking, but the doorknob was jammed. Um, She walked across the living room to grab some tools to fix the doorbell. And that's when she hears Lizzie laughing from the top of the staircase. Um, Bridget did not stop to investigate. I don't think she thought much of it because she didn't know that Abby had been killed, but she did report hearing Lizzie laughing at the top of the staircase, which is the second floor where the room where Abby was killed is located. So after Andrew got back in the house, Lizzie came downstairs to speak with her father. And she told him that Abby had received a message and had left the house to visit a friend. Andrew then lied down on the living room couch to take a nap. And Bridget went back to her third floor room to rest once more because she was still feeling sick. Shortly after Lizzie called for Bridget, saying that her father had been murdered and that she needed Bridget to go get the doctor. Andrew's face had been shattered with the same hatchet that had been used to kill Abby, 11 blows directly to the face. His eye was cut completely (gasps) in half. Oh, my God. Yeah. Directly to the face. Mm -hmm. That's so... I know. It's really, really awful. (sighs) Um, police descended on the Borden house, of course, and Andrew and Abby were pronounced dead on scene. Of course, um, they were slaughtered. Uh, the investigation started and evidence began to pile up against Lizzie as the prime suspect. When talking with authorities, Lizzie behaved erratically and often refused to answer questions, even if answering the question would have been beneficial to her case. She often contradicted herself and provided varied accounts of the morning that her father and stepmother were killed. On August 7th, Lizzie was found tearing up and burning a blue dress in the family's fireplace. She claimed that she was getting rid of it because it had paint on it, but it was never determined whether that dress was the one she was wearing on the day of the murders. Paint, huh? I know. Hmm. What kind of 
house project was she doing? <laughs> um, Lizzie was ultimately arrested the day after her father and stepmother's funeral. And there's a ton of information about the trial online, um, like the court proceedings, the deliberation. But since this is a ghost podcast, not a true crime podcast, I'm not going to go into all of those details. But ultimately, what you need to know is that Lizzie Borden was ultimately acquitted of the murders of her father and stepmother. And probably, the jury only yeah. deliberated for an hour and a half. And probably, from what I've read and listened to, I think it just came down to there wasn't enough evidence. Yeah. A lot of it put seems, her away. what's it called, like circumstantial? Yeah, or, circumstantial. Yeah. And also just because it was the 1800s, they didn't have DNA or, mm-hmm. you know, experts at blood splatter and all. Like, they didn't have all that. So they're like, yeah. if it's like, well, nobody saw her. Right. Basically. What are you going to do? Which is so funny because when I was reading this, I was like, yeah, no fucking shit. She killed them. But like, yeah. you know, that's that's why I'm not a lawyer or a judge or on a jury. <laughs> well, not hers. <laughs> yeah, certainly not hers. Yeah. Um, but yes, Lizzie was acquitted of the murders of her dad and stepmom. And after that, Lizzie pretty much continued to live in Fall River a normal life, more or less, until her death in 1927. I believe that she and her sister did end up moving to the hill, that really kind of like upper echelon, upper class neighborhood in Fall River. And because Abby died first, and then Andrew died Something about that allowed the inheritance to go right to Lizzie and her sister. So they ended up getting their money after all. That order doesn't sound right. Well, I think because if Abby died, if um, if the dad died first, then all of his inheritance would go to Abby. And then if she died, then it would go to whoever she would write oh, it to. Yes, right. So then because, because she died first, it went to him and then his next of kin. OK. Yes. Thank you. You should be an attorney. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. So that actually makes perfect sense. So while Lizzie Borden may have moved away from her family's home after the murders, the house is still very much alive and active with paranormal hauntings and activity today. So the historic Lizzie Borden house sits at 230 2nd Street in Fall River, Massachusetts, and currently operates as a bed and breakfast that fully embraces its gruesome past. (laughs) And it's in the exact same location as it was in the 1860s. It just has a different address because of the way the neighborhood has expanded, Mm -hmm. you know, over the century and a half. But it's in the exact same spot. And yes, it is the exact house where Andrew and Abby were brutally murdered on August 4th, 1892. There have been, as far as I understand it, no additions or expansions to the house. So every room available for rent is a bedroom that existed in the house back when the Borden family lived there. And yes, you can stay in the second floor room where Abby was found brutally murdered on the ground. The furniture and decor in the house feels very old-timey Victorian and authentic in a way that would make me not want to, like, wander alone, wander around alone at night, because you just feel like you were transported back in time to the night before Abby and yeah, Andrew were murdered. and because murdered. it's such an old house, you know, it's creaking. Oh, my f- gosh. Yeah. 100%. And I was looking at pictures from, because <laughs> in around the house, of course, they have framed photos of Abby and Andrew's dead bodies like to show this is where Andrew was killed and it's like right above the couch they've really taken care to replicate all of the furniture so like it's not the same furniture but it looks like the exact same couch the bedroom where she was killed looks like the exact same carpet and bed frame and like it's very 
it, it just feels very spooky to look at. So, yeah, you'd feel like you were transported back to the night before the killings, just waiting for Lizzie or somebody else to creep around the corner with a hatchet in their hand. There are several ghosts reported to haunt the walls of the Borden family home. Many times, guests who stay in the second floor guest room will see the dark figure of an older, older woman moving about the hallways in the evening or in the early hours of the morning. Often, people will think the figure is a maid or the host of the bed and breakfast, but when they get up to greet the woman, they find themselves suddenly and utterly alone. Those who stay in the guest room where Abby was killed sometimes report feeling the bedsheets tighten around them in the middle of the night. Then they'll hear brushing as if hands are sliding across the covers. And finally, they'll feel the slight pressure of hands pushing down on the bed covers as if somebody is straightening out the sheets and fabric. And many people have come to think that come to understand that this is Abby's presence making the bed just like she was doing moments before being brutally hatcheted to death. Oh my God. I know. (gasps) It's really sad. Also very scary. Like I just imagine the bed sheets tightening around you. That would be really freaky. Okay. Um, One guest was staying in this room with her husband when she woke up in the middle of the night and saw something on her husband's side of the bed. And he was sleeping on the side of the bed that was next to the, the area of carpet where Abby was killed. She jumped up and took a picture. And I'll put this on Instagram, but it's a picture of the side of the bed in a thick white fog that looks eerily like the shape and height of a person standing right by the side of the bed where Abby was found killed. (gasps) <gasps> wait it's the smoky thing right yeah yeah that looks like the ectoplasm that our tour guide was talking oh my about God, you're right because okay so on our voodoo vampire tour it was our tour guide was like his day job was being a paranormal investigator and he said that ectoplasm actually appears in images as like a translucent white smoky so film right. and that's what that looks like Oh my gosh. I didn't even clock that this, that like remembered that he said that, but a hundred thousand percent. It's really creepy looking. And it's just right, right next to, right the next to where she was killed. Oh, I know. Um, guests who stay in the room next to Lizzie's bedroom often report hearing soft cries coming from the next door, the next room and faint knocking. And sometimes others will, he- will report hearing laughing. Remember how Bridget the maid heard Lizzie laughing at the top of the stairs after Abby had already been killed? Could that be the spirit of Lizzie laughing that her stepmother is still dead? (laughs) And those who stay in Lizzie's room sometimes report feeling like they are being choked in the middle of the night. Um, I don't know where that's coming from because she didn't choke people, but maybe just anger. I don't know. Anger, like just death. I don't know. Yeah. Um, And one Reddit user who stayed in Lizzie's room noticed that their phone battery would drain dramatically and Mm. seemingly without reason every time they entered the bedroom. And as we know, spirits like to drain the batteries of a lot electronic devices because Mm -hmm. of their energy. Yeah. Uh, The Lizzie Borden house, of course, offers nightly ghost and history tours to all of their guests. And they also offer a two hour nightly ghost hunt for those brave enough to roam the home from 10 a.m. to midnight in search of spirits. And they do take guests into the basement of the home. 
And in the basement, if you look up at the ceiling, you can still see the stains in the wood from where the the blood <gasps> where her father was killed in the living room. The blood you seeped. can still see. You the can blood. still see like the discoloration. I mean, I'm sure they've scrubbed it, so it's not the actual but crusty there. blood. But you can still see the discoloration. Oh my How God. much blood was seeping through? Oh my God. I know. I know. That's I know. Horrible. It's really. I saw a picture of it, which I yeah, I'll put it on Instagram. It's um upsetting oh my god yeah um lizzie's borden's tale has been depicted in movies tv and literature for decades which is no surprise because the story is equal parts fascinating chilling and mysterious and of course the lizzie borden house has been featured on many paranormal investigation shows including our beloved ghost adventures so whether you think lizzie is innocent or guilty it's undoubtedly the case that the spirits of those killed on that dark morning of august 4th 1892 still haunt the walls of the historic lizzie borden home in fall river massachusetts oh my god i really want to go there yeah well we gotta it's, go it's, back to massachusetts well, yeah it's i think they said it's like 50 minutes outside of boston well shit i bet the train goes there too probably the train seems to go everywhere also i can't remember if it's the lizzie borden house that this was at or if it was another B and B of a murder, <laughs> it might have been Velisca. I'm not sure, but I uh-huh. remember listening to another podcast where they were talking about um, what I think is the Lizzie Borden house, and they mentioned that in the morning, like you can eat the same meal that they <gasps> ate when, like right before they died or something. I and I. That yeah. might be here. I have no idea. <laughs> I was but like, that's Damn, they're so really going all out balls to the wall. I mean, I would do it, but <laughs> it probably wasn't even that good of food. It was the eighteen hundreds. Yeah, it's probably like slop and like putrid. <laughs> Maybe old they fruit. had some clam chowder. <laughs> chowder, chowder. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the Valeska Axe House murder house was that was a great story too. Yeah. But anywho, that's my story. That was a good one. Yeah, I liked doing the research. There was so much information on it. It was a bit overwhelming, um, but yeah, it was fun. Well, I guess that brings us to our paranormal protection tip of the week. This week, you need to manifest. <laughs> <laughs> Willpower is underrated. A strong belief in yourself can deflect ghosts or spirits that might want to take too much energy. To ramp up your self-generated protection, imagine yourself as a wall or a big sturdy tree with roots going into the earth. Oh, I really like that. This should balance and ground you. Then you can let the spirit know what it can or cannot do. It might work like a charm. I'm just imagining somebody walking to a haunted house and doing the tree pose. (laughs) They're like, wait. Or like standing like with their legs and arms as far apart as they can possibly go. The ghost are probably like, whoa, what the fuck? I'm not going to mess with her. She's grounded. (laughs) What the fuck is that person doing? (laughs) I really like the visual of imagining yourself as a big sturdy tree. Not even for just for like paranormal things, but just in general. That's a very nice... Yeah, brings you back down to earth. It does. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at DFWG podcast for all our ghostly updates. And you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash DFWG podcast. And now they made this (laughs) new relatively recently, but you can join as a free member now. Um, And we don't post a whole lot that is open to free 
members, but I did just put out a review of the House of Darkness, House of Light trilogy that I made accessible to everyone. So if you want to check out our Patreon, you can do that and you can read my review and see what we have to offer. Um, But yeah. Yeah. Thank you to our patrons, Brittany, Nikki, Jeremiah, Jennifer, Katie S, Katie T, Joanna, Sunday, David, and Allie. You can send in your encounters to our email at dfwgpodcast at gmail.com. And if you have a moment, please rate and review us on Spotify and Apple as it helps push our podcast forward and get us noticed. New listeners. So remember, you need to manifest. And <laughs> always stay away from Ouija boards. Goodbye. Bye. My hand is sweating. <laughs>